My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, I have a true confession. My name is James, and as a pastor, I struggle enjoying Christmas. It sounds kind of disappointing, right? You think someone like, you know, who has the job to preach and open God's word would really always enjoy the holidays. The truth is, when you're on the programming side of things, year after year after year, Christmas and Easter can kind of be a challenge to enjoy, to kind of reflect, to really get back in the spirit. And so it's, it's hard. I drove this morning. There was a little bit of snow on the ground out where we live. It's December 1st, and I'm driving in. I'm praying and do my usual rituals on the way, and I decide to pop in a Christmas song. And it's just like, God, I want that to be my joy. I want to have that kind of unspeakable joy as I just go through this Christmas season because it's often challenging as a pastor to enjoy the holidays. Now, uh, my wife and I were driving and Mary Beth and I were talking and she was saying, you know, what gets you in the Christmas mood? I know what gets her in the Christmas mood. It's the Hallmark movies, right? It's all the Hallmark shows. That's great. How many of you people are Hallmark people? All right, Christmas. All right. God bless you and may God forgive you. Um, so, so I told her, I said, now this is a true story. This is real. I said, you know what it is for me? It's a Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, now, first of all, I know, isn't it great? Um, it's, it's, got, it's got great music. It's got, it's got a great message. And it was uh, 1964. That was the year I was born. 55 years ago that came out. But that scene where Linus goes up and he speaks the Luke passage. That's the core. That's the meaning. And the whole point of the Charlie Brown Christmas is what we're going to talk about with Advent. Is that it's easy to lose Christ in Christmas. You know, if you think about the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus itself uh, has a pretty significant uh, understanding. First of all, it means to deliver or rescue. It's Yeshua from the Old Testament, Joshua. That Jesus, his very name is the one who saves us, the one who rescues us, delivers us. And the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament with the angel, prophesies that Jesus would be known as Emmanuel, more of a title, God with us. So that Jesus is the God, the true God, who comes down to save us, to rescue us. The whole point of God revealing himself to Jesus is that we need a savior. We need a rescuer. We need a deliverer from all of our sin and all of our struggle. And so we, as followers of Christ, come with Advent, which is from a Latin word to the idea of coming, 
to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, there are actually two Advents. There's the first Advent we celebrate because of Christmas, but then there's a second Advent that is yet to come, that Jesus will come again. And so today we start our four-week Advent series with that first Advent, and we'll wrap it up Christmas weekend talking about the second Advent with joy to the world when Jesus comes again. So we're between the two Advents. We're between the first coming and the second coming. And it's really hard sometimes as followers of Jesus, and and not just as a pastor, to actually celebrate Christmas and find Christ in it. Because it's easy for Christ to be lost in the midst of lights and tinsel and presents and all the things that are beautiful about this season. Uh, Not long ago, 2013, Pew Research asked a question, what do you most look forward to at the holiday Christmas time? 69% said time with family and friends. They've not met my family. Um, Back in Indiana, man, if somebody didn't get drunk and throw a chair, it wasn't a good holiday season. That's where I come from. Uh, so boys be praised that you don't live where I came from. Um, how many of you have a family member like that? And if they're here, just point to them. No, um, (laughs) religious reflection and church really, when you think about it, just, just shy over 10% when they think about looking forward to Christmas, think about Jesus or church or a celebration or the religious component of it. Now, I'm not knocking this. I'm just saying that it is honest to say that Christmas is a secular celebration these days. But I think as followers of Christ, we can reclaim the Christ of Christmas, or as has been said for decades now, that Jesus is the reason for the season. And so it helps to know how we got to this point. And if you study American history in the late 1800s, the early 1900s, the Christmas that we celebrate as we define it is a relatively new phenomenon, 150 years old or so. And some of our Christmas traditions are pretty interesting. We see, first of all, the idea of candy canes come from the Germanic tribes. You can date this back to 1670, the idea of a candy cane. Who doesn't like a candy cane, right? They're all over trees. They're wonderful. People hand them out. Those are great. And then also uh, the Germans brought in the Christmas tree, uh, or Charlie Brown did, Um, I've got that tree at my house. The Christmas tree, uh, some would even say, and I've read stories about Martin Luther, the great reformer who was out walking and saw the lights, the stars amongst the trees and thought about bringing the tree in. And so the idea of the, the Germanic background of America and those tribes coming in brought some of our early, early Christmas celebrations. But then you progress to like Christmas cards, for example. This is the very first Christmas card. Sir Henry Cole, in 1843, he commissioned someone to take four generations of his family, put it on a card to send to all of his friends. And so this is the first, the first Christmas card. Now, Christmas cards are everywhere, and people make a lot of money on them, and we, you know, we burn a lot of ink you know, on writing Christmas cards, but it's a beautiful thing. We hang them up. That's a, that's a big part of the season, but it's a relatively new part of the season. In fact, Christmas as a national holiday is only 150 years old. The federal government finally decided in 1870 that you could have a day off. Thank you, Scrooge. Okay, that you can enjoy Christmas Day off with Tiny Tim, right? Okay, well then things like the ornaments, so a Christmas ornament, that's a relatively new one. Woolworths came up with that in 1880. And if you're so young that you don't know what Woolworths is, it was a department store like Sears and JCPenney's. And if you're so young that you don't know what Sears and JCPenney's is, um, imagine, if you will, close your eyes 
Amazon being in a location where you could go to. Wouldn't that be crazy? That was the old department store. And that started with Woolworths. And they wanted to sell and to make and, and to, you know, to process through the commercialization. Uh, in fact, if you look at, at the whole idea of Santa Claus, the modern-day Santa Claus was a Coca-Cola invention in 1920. That is, you know, when you see the Santa of Coca-Cola, that is where that whole jolly old St. Nicholas kind of look. And if you look closely at this picture, this is Christmas, 1964. That's me. My first Christmas. So there in Frankfort, Indiana. Yeah, I, I didn't want it bigger than that because I'm asleep with my head kicked back. My sister Mary there. But the idea of Santa Claus as we see it today was from Coca-Cola, which is a company that wants to sell you more product, right? Okay, that's how this commercialization began to develop. Or Rudolph, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, when you think about that, that was Montgomery Ward's, another one of those department stores, right? In 1939, and the whole Rudolph the Red-Nosed song, and, and you know, I, I love that story, the little claymation, everything. It was just wonderful. But it's about commercialism. It's about selling more product, about getting people into stores, spend more money, and then you have a great Christmas. Uh, the idea, actually, of Black Friday, I don't have any pictures here because it'd be like people piled over each other fighting for televisions, um, was from 1961. The department stores came together and said, we need to, uh, and some would say, get in the black financially, uh, and we need to have this big day. So the whole idea of Black Friday from 1961, although really it took off as we know it the last couple decades. And finally, this idea of the elf on the shelf, that was invented by Satan in 2005. (laughs) I kid you not. You know... They have yet to come out with that horror movie, but that would be an awesome Christmas horror movie, right? Forget Stephen King. Elf on the Shelf, that freaks me out. I'm glad we don't have one at our house, all right? Now, that's Christmas as we know it. And when you study the history, it's all about you going into stores and buying things, spending more money, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. Just don't use credit, right? Because then January comes around. Um, But the fact is, is that in all of this, Christ can easily get lost. And again, I will say it, Christmas as we know it is a secular holiday, unfortunately. But for we who are followers of Jesus Christ, it is the holiday of all holidays. It is the reminder that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, in the form of a baby, a, a helpless child, to be wrapped in, you know, cloth, laid in a manger, to a young woman, Mary, and her husband, Joseph, and no normal esteem as a baby being born, definitely not a king, but in a very humble stable, a manger cave area. That's how much God loved you and me. That is the essence of what we want to recover this Advent season of the peace and the hope and the love and the joy that comes when we walk with this Jesus. Advent is an annual reminder that we need to recapture the mystery and the beauty of the Christmas season. Now, when you think about the subject we'll talk about today, peace, this is the first one we'll discuss. We define the word peace often as uh, the absence of conflict or war, and that's fine. We want peace on earth. We want peace in the Middle East. Some of you, you know, you want peace at the holiday season. That's great. But in a biblical sense, in a Hebrew sense, at the time of Jesus, the word peace, shalom, it's still today. A Hebrew person, a Jewish person would talk about shalom. Shalom is this idea of wholeness or completeness. It is peace, but it's more than that. Our word peace is just absent of conflict. 
But the shalom, the Hebrew peace, is absent of conflict, but it adds all the peace and tranquility and wholeness and uniqueness that would come from having a good relationship. The blessing, in in essence, it's how it was designed to be. Now, when you think about the Bible story and from the very beginning in Genesis, the first few pages, God designed us to have shalom. He designed us to have peace, that God created us to be in a relationship with him, that God came down and he walked on the earth and he, he had conversations with Adam and Eve. And in the cool of the day, the Bible describes that God would come down and they would walk and they would talk. It's amazing. That's true peace. That's shalom, that they would know God and God would know them in this relationship. We were not created to be self-sufficient, self-defined, self-identified, self-supporting. And yet because of sin, that's what we've become, selfish people. And now we live for ourselves and God has not forsaken us. God has not forgiven, forgotten us, but has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. And that is Advent. That is the reminder. Even though we rebelled against him, God has shown up in Jesus. So I would like to read that story in Luke uh, that uh, Linus so beautifully did. And uh, I won't be using the King James, but I want to use the New Living. And I want to read the story and focus on the culmination of it. What does it mean for us to have peace on earth? At the time, this is Luke chapter 2, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, so that's the northern part of Israel, down to that middle part of Israel by Jerusalem. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Let's keep going here. And while they were there, the time came for their baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging or no room available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Um, when, that, when you think about peace on earth and you think about where the message came from, um, you know, reading through this story, uh, we like to imagine these little fluffy sheep. Uh, these shepherds lying out there with their flocks at night and this peaceful starry night. And um, we like to think of shepherding. We see the story of Jesus talking about shepherding. We know David was a shepherd. We idealize and we romanticize this idea of a shepherd. But the truth of the matter is shepherding was the low job. Shepherding was the job that you would start 
not the job you would ultimately achieve. In fact, thinking about King David, he's the youngest of all the children, and he's the one out there that's shepherding. You think about these shepherds that are out there. This job was a filthy job, tending sheep. This job was not a job that people would be born and grow up thinking, one day I want to be a shepherd. But it was the lowly job. It was the job for even uneducated people. It was this job to where, you know, if you can't find anything else, you could at least go out and be a shepherd. And so it wasn't to the privileged. It wasn't to the high religious people that the angel came. It wasn't to the king, or he was known as King Herod. It was to the weakest and the lowliest of all people. I was reading in my Bible uh, just this last week as I'm going through and kind of wrap up the Bible this year. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this. And I thought, this is really relevant. This is exactly what we are today, just like the shepherds. Paul says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you are wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. So in a very beautifully way, God insults us right here with this passage, right? That when God looked around at the world, he didn't look and say, all the rich people, all the famous people, all the good looking people, all the important people, all choose you. See, they've already chosen something. But people who have been rejected by the world, people who have uh, ended up in the far corners of the world or in the margins of the world or fallen off, the world, that we as Sunrise would call the least, the last, and the lost. That's who God has chosen. God has chosen you and me. And I read things like that and I go, that's what I want to be. I want to be the foolish things of the world because the wise people have no time for this. Just talking with a friend afterwards, someone who is of Jewish descent, who's very intelligent, who argues and argues and argues that Jesus can't be the Messiah. Well, that person is too wise in their own eyes to actually investigate the truth. But a person like you, a person like me, it's, it's really an insult, by the way. Thank you for being here. It's like an insult you. God did it. That we are the foolish of the world. That people with power, people with prestige, people with means, with all the measure of, of whatever wealth, would look down at us and go, why waste your time with religion? Why waste your time? You just need some kind of a religious crutch. You just need something to kind of prop you up. A religion is the opiate to the masses, Mark said. Well, you know what? The Bible says there's, there's an element where God looked around and didn't go to the self-sufficient, but to those who would seek him, those who would acknowledge and recognize their own brokenness and sinfulness. And when we come and do that today, the world may look on us and go, you're the foolish people of the world, that you would believe in such a religious thing like a, a first Christmas, that you would believe that God so loved the world that he would come down in the form of a baby and be placed in this manger, that one day he would go and live and do the things that the Bible says, and that he would die on a cross for our sins, that he would not just be crucified, but be buried and then rose again. That's foolishness to believe that, to which I would say absolutely it is, because that's the foolishness. Of the world. And I would rather be, as the Bible says, a fool in the eyes of others than a fool in the eyes of God. And so we have it in our world upside down. We have it if you want to have peace, you acquire things, you purchase things, you gather things for yourself. If you want to experience peace on earth, you become an important person 
to others would serve you. And Jesus came to bring peace on earth, and he became a servant. He became a lowly shepherd of people, and he gathered people to himself, and he's still doing that today. That when God thinks about you and me, he thinks about people who would acknowledge their brokenness, acknowledge their sinfulness, acknowledge their desperate need for a savior. And he goes, I want to go to those people. I want to save those people. I want to redeem those people. I want to buy those people out of their life of slavery and sin. And I want to send my son, Jesus, savior, rescuer, deliverer to come in that moment of need. When I think about this, when I think about glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth, I think about people who have received this message of Jesus. Just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a number of people baptized. We've got two baptisms after this service. And I want you to watch these, hear these, enjoy these stories of people who've said, yeah, I sign up for needing a savior and his name is Jesus. Let's watch these together. My name is Jose Luis Manriquez. I'm getting baptized because I surrendered my soul to the Lord Savior. Um, and I've come to follow Christ. So because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this profession was a, it is an honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. All right, let's celebrate. Woo. My name is Chow, and I've been going to Sunrise Church for about a year. Um, and I decided to get baptized today uh, to, as my commitment, like public declaration of commitment of following Jesus Christ um, because ever since I started going to church, um, I, it, Jesus helped me, give me hope when I was like really desperate, when I was looking for a job, when I was like struggling in school and relationship, and it uh, gives me hope and um, keeps me uh, being positive. Because I know as long as I have trust and faith in Jesus, um, it will, Jesus will always be there for me and guide, to guide me. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why are you guys getting baptized today? Because I've lived my life without Jesus as my Lord and Jesus is Lord. Live lost, live too lost for too long. No, I need to die in my life. All right, my brother in Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My sister in Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name's Greg. I came to Sunrise a little over two years ago. I was baptized at this church, and I am uh, having my sister baptized. I'm Cheryl Asington. I am getting baptized because when I was real little, I was baptized a Catholic. So now I want to be a Christian and I want to be God's child. And uh, this is my big brother and he's going to baptize me. And I'm very blessed. So because of your profession of faith, it is an exciting moment for your brother to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are men and women who have said, you know, I'm not too proud 
to come to God. I'm not too proud to acknowledge my brokenness and my sinfulness. I'm not trying to achieve something in the eyes of others. I'm trying to humble myself in the eyes of God. And every one of us, I believe this, at this season of Advent, could come to that point of acknowledging our desperate need for Jesus as Savior. Uh, When I think about this, it was 40 years ago this month. I I don't know the actual day, but in December of 1979, I was a 15-year-old kid. I had just turned 15, and I responded to the message of Jesus Christ. And so this month celebrates for me my 40th birthday as a follower of Jesus Christ. And God is so good. And for some of you, it could be today. It could be this month, December of 2019, and you could be that person. Now, I I just want to share with you quickly in in the moments we've got, I want to share with you what I see in my life that I've experienced, and I've seen so many experience, what it's like to have peace on earth. First of all, for me, I experienced peace, peace from my past. Any kind of shame, any kind of brokenness, any kind of sin, any kind of struggle, any kind of embarrassment, God has come into my life and he's given me a new hope. Um, when you think about this, the Bible describes it as like your slate being wiped clean. That like the brand new fresh fallen snow. Did anybody experience a little bit of that this morning? If you got up late, it was just rain. But there was this blanket of light snow on the ground. But imagine just several feet of snow just covering everything pure white. God says that he will take your sins. He will take your brokenness, your separation, all of that. And he will wipe it away. He will make all of that clean, white, pure like the new fall and snow. And I've experienced that, that I no longer have to fear my past. I no longer have to run away from my past. And every one of us have a past. We all have struggles. We have issues that God will clean and do something amazing to provide peace with your past. And we can get beyond that no matter what it was. God also provides peace in the present, that today you can have peace. In, in my life and my marriage and my family and, and work and all this stuff, God gives me the strength. God gives me the internal peace to live life in such a way that there's peace around me. You know, it's not that there's never any conflict. It's just that when there is conflict, the peace of God overwhelms us and gives us a way out of that and a way through that. That today, in the midst of whatever kind of peace you need, inside, uh, around you, at school, at work, family members, whatever it is, God provides this peace that settles over us that passes, the Bible says, all understanding. It just doesn't make any sense, but it works. And the deepest tragedies of my life and the most desperate situations of my life, God's peace is just washed over me. And that is because God's living inside of me through his Holy Spirit giving the peace. And anybody who's followed Christ knows what I'm talking about. Not that we're absent of struggle, but in the midst of all that, this peace just comes over us. And not just from the past and in the present, but in the future. The Bible declares that we who have followed Jesus Christ, we who have come to this point where we've received salvation through Jesus, we have confidence in the future. That no matter what happens on the earth, that we know we will be in God's presence. That when life is over, whether that's because the second advent has come and now Jesus has come back, or we pass from this life, we will be in the presence of God and we will experience God's peace. Now, if you ask me, peace from the past, wiping all that clean and giving you peace, no matter what's happened, peace in the present. Meaning you can walk today, you can live today with complete peace. 
walk this earth amidst whatever challenges you may have, having confidence in God that he loves you and provides for you and peace for the future that no matter what goes on, no matter what happens in this world, no matter the rest of your years, that you will have peace beyond these years, that for all eternity you would know God. That is worth picking up this Christmas season. That is the best present, the best gift anyone could ever offer you. And God offers it through Jesus Christ. He offers it freely. In fact, there's this beautiful passage in uh, the Apostle Paul's words. And it says, so there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This word condemnation in the original language was this word that was used when a judge would sentence you because of your crime. And the gavel would be slammed down that sentencing that you were guilty that condemnation, the Bible says it's no longer on your account. That Jesus himself was condemned because of your sin. That he bore all of your sin on a cross. And now because of Jesus, those who are in Christ Jesus, who belong to him, there is now no condemnation. There is no more guilt. There is no more shame. There is no more separation from God. Because you and I have peace on earth because of Jesus, not because of ourselves. If we think it's because of ourselves, we're trying to get a little wise in our own eyes. And God didn't come for those. He came for the foolish people, the people who acknowledge their desperate need of a Savior. And I'd like to pray, and I'd like just to close this time of the service before we sing a few more songs with an opportunity for you to also pray with me. So let's close our eyes. And we traditionally, we bow our heads down and close our eyes as an act of humility and submission before God. And traditionally, we pray and we, we say words that express what's on our heart. And I would invite you to do that if you would like to respond to this message of peace on earth. You could say something like this along with me. Dear God, thank you for your love for me. Even though I've ran away from you. Even though I've rebelled against you. Even though I've fallen so short of your standard. You love me and you've given me Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And today I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I receive your gift of eternal life. And I confess with my own mouth that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Bible says that when you express those intentions of, in your heart that you're saved and you have a brand new relationship with God. And as a, a pastor, as a church, we want to walk with you on that and pray with you. So Father, I pray for every one of us here. Some have walked for years, me 40 years, four decades. You've never failed me. I've never been ashamed of you. I've never wanted to run from this. I know I've not always lived up to it, but you have lived through me. Father, you have promised eternal life to any who would call to you. And some even today for the first time. Guide us, walk with us, show us what it means to know you and not just have peace on earth, but to live that outwardly to others. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.